All right. Cool, we're back. This is the second episode of the XU Podcast. It's been a couple weeks since the first episode, so I apologize about that. I'm your host, Andrew. The XU Podcast, for those tuning in for the first time, is an all-encompassing EDM podcast that focuses on electronic dance music, new releases that are coming out, songs that I'm listening to, songs that my friends are listening to, picking the brains of fans of different genres, DJs, producers, people in the entertainment industry that surrounds electronic music and this is the second second episode so first episode we kind of give a little introduction to what i hope this podcast will do i'm going to keep it rolling um solo for the second episode but we do have some awesome guests lined up which i'm excited about i'm going to record a couple of episodes this week and hopefully um start you know start releasing them over the next couple of weeks so you guys have some cool insights and um, guests to listen to and hopefully grow this thing. Again, we are so early on. I'm not really sure how to go about a lot of the social media, a lot of the branding. It's all something I'm going to just kind of learn as I go. All I know is that we have a name as of now, XU Podcast. We have music that's constantly coming out, shows that are constantly happening, and a lot to dive into. There's so many topics. I have a list in, a, in my journal of about like three pages of just bullet, bullet-noted uh, episode topics. So we're going to, I think, again, moving forward as I learn, I think a goal is to keep these episodes relatively quick-hitting. Around 20 to 30 minutes is what I'm going to shoot for. There's, I'm sure there will be some episodes with guests that will go over that maybe into like an hour range or if we have a couple people on it might be a little longer but i think people uh with so much content out there so many podcasts so many things uh to consume we're going to try to make this one very digestible and keep it around the 20 minute mark uh so i'm actually going to start a timer i know this is bad bad podcasting right now uh just so i kind of have a sense of how long this is going for and today i'm coming from you in uh, from my childhood bedroom. So I'm back home in New York. I'm from Long Island originally. So I am back home for the week on Long Island recording this. And the reason I am back home is because I am fresh off of a my most recent show that I've been to, which was last Friday. I went with my older brothers and our good friend Volch, who is possibly listening to this. So shout out to Volch. And we had an awesome weekend. And the event that we planned the weekend around was a show at the Brooklyn Mirage, which was Anjuna Deep uh, Open Air. So this was kind of like an event. It was like a mini festival. Brooklyn Mirage was set up with actually two venues. So they had an indoor venue um, that I didn't have the chance to check out because I stayed at the main um, outdoor venue. Uh, and they had a collection of probably 10 different artists all on Anjuna Deep's label. Uh, the headliners being Ben Bomer and Tin Liquor. So... Ben Bomer is an artist that I've only known about for a little over there, over a year. Um, I'm sure I've heard some of his songs in the past, but what really uh, caught my attention as you know to his music and as a fan, I would definitely say was his Hot Air Balloon set uh, that released on YouTube last year, which a lot of people I'm sure have seen. It's, it's definitely, a, if you haven't, I, I recommend going to check it out. Um, he opens that set with what he opened with at the concert on Friday, which is his song Beyond Beliefs, which I think you can make a case for being the most um, unique and best song of, of 2021. Uh, just 
really unbelievable. And like I said, that's actually what he opened with when we saw him. But the event as a whole uh, was really something I was looking forward to do because I know Anjuna Deep, uh, which comes with Above and Beyond, which which comes with group therapies and all these things that I'm, I'm well aware of but not too informed on. So this probably would have been a good, good episode to have somebody who is a big above and beyond group therapy person on to kind of tell us a little bit about the history of those sessions, I believe they're called, or like episodes, um, the open air shows that they do, the artists that they, you know, have on the label, because I'm very interested in, in that uh, community because it is a very strong community. A lot of merch, a lot of Anjuna Deep merch, a lot of hats. Just a lot of people there that you can tell are serious fans of this label's artists and music. And that was what was really cool about it is everyone was there for the music, for um, the, the sets and the production and everything that comes with it. And what I would thought was cool is so we saw, we got there at around probably 10, 30, 11. The show went till 4.30 in the morning. But uh, I thought it was... Super cool how not one DJ um, or producer or artist, whatever you want to call these guys, um, spoke into the microphone once the entire night. Um, I think Ben Bomer may have thanked New York for coming out, maybe, uh, but it was strictly about the music and these sets that were all about an hour and a half long. So it was a night filled with just really good melodic house is what I want to call it. Um, I'm not, as I mentioned in the first episode, I really don't know the terms to really put on each. I'm not good with genres. I don't really even know how I would classify progressive house. I think I know that that's like, you know, the Alesso and Swedish House Mafia. And, you know, I do know some of that. But as far as these genres go, every time I think I understand a genre, somebody calls it something else. So I'm going to call it melodic house slash like trancey almost. Um, very digestible music to listen to. Ben Bomer, again, is, I think, putting out, if you and I did a deep dive into his whole discography over the past year, and I found some really awesome gems, um, was incredible, and then Tin Liquor closed the night out. Um, Tin Liquor is a group of two guys. We were a little disappointed, because we were excited to see the two guys. I've known about Tin Liquor for a while now, big fans of them, um, really unique sound, um, and distinguishable sound that they bring to the genre. Um, and I was looking for, we were all kind of hyped up for them to close out the show with the two of them up there on stage. And I think anyone who says that, you know, they're just pressing buttons up there, regardless of if they are or aren't, it's still, a, a, it still comes into play when it's the the overall experience of hearing this music live, even just seeing a DJ up there or a group of DJ up there, um, can add a lot to it. So only one of the guys performed for Tin Liquor, which was a little disappointing for us. Uh, but still, awesome set. It was one of my fa probably my favorite set of the night, um, which I wasn't really expecting because we went there really for Ben Bomer. Now, I'm going to tell you that it was a little, not disappointing, but the only thing about the event that wasn't ideal was how packed it was. I've been to Brooklyn Mirage now five times, I believe, and it typically is such an awesome venue because you can find a pocket, uh, whether it's in the back right or maybe towards the middle, or you go up, go up top to the secondary levels of the castle that everyone likes to call it, 
with the views of New York City and find a good spot to watch the show. I remember for Lane 8, my brothers and I went up top to the second level, right to the left of the stage, so we were actually looking directly at um, Lane 8 from like a side angle, and that was, and we still got to see the crowd and everything, and that was awesome. But for this Ben Bomer show, specifically his set, which was from, I want to say, 1 to one to 2.30, uh, it was extremely packed. You couldn't move. It was sardined. You know, no matter where you go, you were having people walking in and out, bumping into you. It's just really not the best enjoyable way to consume an artist, you know, set. Um, so it was a little tough for us to get in. I think the reason why that was is because they had two, two stages going the entire night. So they were able to sell more than just the one venue tickets. Um, but it was definitely overwhelmingly packed. And I think we weren't able to really... Um, get into fully the Ben Bomer set. With that being said, we really got to see him open out, open up with Beyond Beliefs, which was probably the highlight of the night. Um, that was incredible. And like I said, Tin Liquor was amazing. We also saw Marsh, um, who was awesome. Volch was a big uh, advocate of Marsh, who I've heard of, but haven't really listened to a lot of his music and have been since Friday night. So, um, again, and Juna Deep is one of those um, labels, I guess, and communities inside the and above and beyond as well. I'll, I'll pair them with it. Um, that I think would be a little intimidating for uh, even a listener like myself. Uh, you almost feel shame for telling people that you've, you know, not actually, but you know, I feel like some of the people in there would have laughed at me if I told them that I listen to Griffin or um, Alesso or some of the more common, you know, God forbid I mentioned Kygo um, in an Anjuna Deep show. Um, but all in all, really awesome show, really awesome experience. Um, and Brooklyn Mirage is, I believe, have one more weekend, so that was another cool aspect of it, was seeing a show on a cooler night, not in the middle of the summer, but it was about 55, 60 degrees, actually a perfect night. I overdressed. I had a jacket on, and I ended up holding it the entire time. But really, really awesome to be outside in the fall at a show like that, um, you know, doesn't really get much better. With that being said, I think there's definitely something to be, uh, to, there has to be, I have to note that, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to f- figure out the way to word this. How you approach how you consume a live EDM show is going to be different for everybody. I've never really been a big proponent of let's get up as close as possible and get in the absolute pit and you know just fight all the whole night and dance and go crazy and you know headbang or whatever it might be get super sweaty i've done it before but i wouldn't say that's normally my approach especially as i've gotten a little older maybe back in high school or or early college years that was what i was trying to do i think the best approach that we've always taken to shows that it's not always so easy to do is try to get right you want to be in the middle obviously because that's where the sound is the best and that's where you get the best um uh where you can consume the light show and the production uh the best as well which is typically right in the front of the soundboard so you can kind of use that as a backboard for you and when you have a group of people i've kind of learned this on friday night is in order to when it's packed you have to just be moving and dancing if you want to keep people out of your pocket of, of friends 
which is hard to do because these shows are long, especially when you have shows like Ben Bomer coming on at 1 a.m. and Tin Liquor coming on at 2.30. I mean, it's a long night. Uh, but the approach in which people take two shows is very interesting. I generally am an advocate of you have to be on the floor. Brooklyn Mirage, I think, oftentimes offers um, different different scenarios where you can be up top and still have an awesome viewing of the show. But you want to be able to see the lights and you want to be able to have a good uh, sound going in terms of uh, where the music's coming from and, and in relation to where you're standing. So it's interesting, though, that some people have always been, you know, I want to get to the front. And every venue is going to be different, right? Big Night Live is not the same as Brooklyn Mirage. Uh, Big Night Live allows you the ability to be pretty damn close to the stage with also getting this incredible sound um, and consumption of, of the lights and production. So that's why Brooklyn, Big Night Live, I'm a big advocate for. It can get packed depending on the show you're going to see, but if you're able to kind of maneuver and get used to um, and have an idea of how to, how to make your own space is essentially what you want to do with these shows. Um, but also an outdoor show at some place like the Brooklyn Mirage or a festival with a big stage and big production. Um, I'm never going to turn that down. They're all great. I am an advocate of not going to shows of artists that I want to really see at clubs specifically. I'm going to use the Grand for an example in Boston just because that's what I'm mo- I live close by. I can also talk about like the Marquee in New York City. Uh, not that there aren't better clubs out there. I, I, uh, I know Space in Miami is a big one. I'm sure that one's incredible. But my, my approach to it is if it's an artist I really am looking forward to seeing. Like a, if Tiesto is coming, and I would love to go see Tiesto, which I did at Big Night Live. He also played at the Grand. I'd rather go to the Big Night Live set 10 times out of 10 because I believe that club sets, you don't get the full artist personal um approach to the set they're going to play songs that obviously are theirs but they're going to play more club songs more uh more of other artists songs whereas i think when they're at a venue or an actual show of theirs whether it's on a tour of theirs or they're headlining a festival or playing a festival i think you're going to get a better manicured set that they put together that is the best for consuming them as an artist that you like I'm not sure if this is me just kind of rambling, not making too much sense. I also don't like the fact that at some of these clubs, you have to wear a button-down and nice shoes, and you can't wear a hat. That's not the crowd at those shows. Why people are at those shows is not typically the crowd that I'm looking for. Um, A funny, quick story that I want to tell is when my friends and I went to Vegas. We had an awesome time in Vegas. We went to Kygo and Encore Beach Club. That was amazing. We were in the pool. But the story I want to talk about is my first time seeing Martin Garrix, right? This is back in 2019, and we were all pretty fresh out of college. Uh, We had all started working our jobs and had a little bit of money in our pocket, and we wanted to go do this trip to Vegas. And I, it was this was probably Martin Garrix's in terms of running festivals um and actually you know headlining shows and putting out progressive house music that people love you know that i personally loved he's kind of strayed a little bit away from it i still think he's one of my number one uh people i would like to see in the right venue and i say that because we saw him at omni and nightclub 
So Omnia Nightclub is the biggest, one of the biggest clubs in the world, the most popular. It's in Vegas, right on the Vegas Strip. And we went out to Vegas, and Saturday night, Martin Garrix was playing Omnia. Now, as a Martin Garrix fan, I was super stoked because this was going to be the first time I was seeing him. I did voice some hesitation because I think I had the same approach to club shows that I wasn't sure how the set was going to be because I didn't want it to be too clubby and I wanted to really see him, um, you know, throw everything he's got in terms of his set that I love, you know, his Zaget Festival from 2015 on YouTube, which is one of his popular ones. Um, he's got a bunch that I'm sure, you know, Ultra Miami festivals, whatever. Those are the types of sets that I fell in love with Martin Garrix for. But whatever, we decided we were going to this uh, this show, and we were all pumped for it. We were all bought in. Where when one of my friends told me that we had to get a table for Martin Garrix because we were going to be sardines otherwise. Now, this kind of contradicts what I was saying about the Ben Bomer show, where I hated being in sardines because I do. Nobody likes that, but. My friend made a, a pretty strong argument for getting a table, even though it was a ridiculous amount of money. I think it ended up being like $400 plus a person. The table scene and the, the bottle service scene, we could probably do a whole episode on just how dumb that is. Not saying I wouldn't do it. I have done it. It's fun. It's a waste of money, though. Anyone who tells you otherwise, I don't think anyone probably does tell you that. That'd be pretty stupid, but regardless... We ended up getting a table, the 10 of our friends, 10 idiots, out in Vegas for the first time for Martin Garrix, and we were all kind of pissed at first, and then once we decided, all right, we're here, whatever, we're just going to enjoy it, we were pumped. (laughs) We had a table for Garrix at Omnia on Saturday night in Las Vegas. Unbelievably excited, having drinks, having a good time, dancing, had our space, I remember we weren't getting any alcohol, you know, any hard alcohol because we knew it was so expensive and we didn't want to ring it up too bad, uh, which is probably a good sign that you shouldn't be at a table if you are only ordering Bud Lights, which we were. Uh, but that's just besides the point. Anyways, Marty Garrix finally comes on. Here it is. I mean, I've been listening to him for years. I'm super stoked to hear see this experience of, of Martin Garrix live. I've been watching the Martin Garrix show on YouTube. This is huge. And he comes out and for five minutes absolutely kills it. He's, he's playing songs that we know. He, we're going crazy. We're high-fiving. We're dancing. And then five minutes in, he jumps off his DJ decks and he goes down. He goes down hard. Now, if you've seen the Martin Garrix show, you probably know what this is, what I'm about to tell you. But what happened was is when he jumped off of his DJ decks, literally five, maybe ten minutes into the show, he twisted his ankle and broke it badly. Down goes Garrix. Down goes Garrix. And we're all kind of up there still dancing because the music's still playing. And we're kind of like, come on, Martin, get up. Come on, you got it. It's like when you're, you know, it's like a parent watching their kid in like peewee football go down with an injury and they're just praying from the sideline that they get up. And I remember he, they brought him out on, they they brought him in the back and the music kept playing and then they brought him back out and he sat down and played for probably another 10 minutes. But the whole time we were kind of just freaking out that, oh my God, he's like, he's definitely not in good shape. So a couple more minutes go by, he maybe plays one or two songs that we really couldn't enjoy. And then he gets, you know, he gets brought off the stage to an ambulance behind stage and Justin Milo 
who, nothing against you, Justin Milo, you actually have some good songs, comes out and finishes the set. And we all were sitting there, $400 down the drain pretty much, $400 plus down the drain, drinking our expensive Bud Lights, listening to Justin Milo. And that was our Omnia table experience. So I think it was the the dance music gods um, and... You know, kind of teaching us a lesson of don't get a table until you're really ready to get a table. It ended up being a fun night. We look back and we laugh on it. Um, but, uh, you know, moral of the story is fuck clubs. Fuck club scenes um, and sets for DJs that you want to see. Now, again, I'll go to a club any night and enjoy it. And even if it is someone I really am looking forward to seeing, then it's going to be a great time. But... You know, if you're if you're buying tickets to go see an artist specifically and it's at a club, um, I've found that you're you're typically disappointed. But there are, I think, a lot of DJs who I would you know happily see at a club and and have a great time. And and at a certain point, I guess it's you know I'd rather at a certain point I'd rather just go to a, like a smaller bar that has dance music playing and a and a local DJ in the corner and have fun doing that. Um, but again, it's to each his own, and, and I guess for it's got to be a you know a certain occasion, and that's my take kind of on on clubs and, and club sets. And the Martin Garrix story was obviously it. you can find it if you look up Martin Garrix broken ankle on YouTube. Just know that my ten friends and I were the idiots in the second level at our table by ourselves, not letting any girls in because we didn't want to run up our tab, um, <laughs> and you know. We got to watch Justin Milo kill it. So shout out to Justin Milo. He's actually put out some good songs and releases since then. Um, and that's kind of where I want to wrap this first or this second episode up. There's a lot, like I said, that's coming uh, to the podcast in terms of guests, in terms of uh, artists that we're going to be getting on and discussions we're going to be having. I'm talking with someone later this week to do a whole breakdown of the Jero album, Coming Home, which came out last Friday. So if you haven't heard that, it's awesome. We're going to have a whole episode that dives into Jero as an artist and, and the album. We'll break down each song, um, which should be super cool. And I'm home this week, so I have access to some some uh, guests that I've been wanting to talk to for a while. Uh, so that will be coming your way as well. And then uh, update for me as far as shows go, there's a lot coming to Boston recently, but I am actually have a busy October. I am going to Porter Robinson and Jai Wolf in Little bit of little over two weeks uh, at Porter at Brooklyn Mirage Avant Garde indoors, so that'll be an awesome experience. I'm looking forward to that. The Porter Robinson's Nurture Tour, one of the better albums of last year um, or this year, I guess. Um, so a lot of cool things coming to the podcast. I'm going to leave you with the Spotify song and the SoundCloud song, like we did in the first episode. Going to try to start incorporating the actual songs either into the podcast or I'll I'll link them in the uh, in the description of each each episode, but my Spotify song, going back to Tin Liquor, who I saw on Friday, their remix of High Jew. Um, it's a there's an extended mix, there's an original, you know, a normal like three minute three minute version, and this just know when you hear the song, I was absolutely peak vibing to myself with myself at the show. I was with a big group of people, group of friends, and we had a great crew. But this song was one that I kind of got lost in, in the best way. Really cool, just driving song and good melody. And um, 
I was loving it, and I've been listening to it a lot since. And then the SoundCloud song I'm going to leave you with is a song that a lot of people have probably heard before. They probably know about it. They probably knew about it before I knew about it. I first heard it at the Lane 8 show that I went to back in August, and it is a Chris Lake ID that is only on SoundCloud. You can find it. It is How Is Your Evening So Far. So how was your evening so far? So how was your evening so far? It's awesome. It's just a fun party song. Play it on a Friday night with your friends when you're drinking, and it gets it got my vibes going. Um, another song that I had a, a personal dance experience to when I saw live at Lane Eight. So, uh, yeah, that's it for episode two. Looking forward to some guests coming in the future and really near future, and looking forward to more topics and things that we're going to dive into and see seeing where this thing goes. So. Thank you for uh, tuning in and see you next time.